Thank you. Be seated. Amen. That, you guys sound like you came to church today, huh? Hey, well, you did for a moment there. Now you got quiet on me. Hey, great to see you this morning. Welcome to all of our guests. You're in our traditional service. Uh, if you missed the announcements, we have three Sunday services. This is our traditional service, features traditional music. At uh, 1030, we have a contemporary, and at noon, we have a little contemporary with a flare of rock. So three different kinds of worship services. We're glad you're here in this one. We're doing some summer shorts, some shorter series than we uh, sometimes normally do So because we know we have people coming in and out. And what we're talking about right now, we started talking about last week, was finding hope when life hits hard. Uh, again, a lot of folks are going through some hard times in life right now. Over and over, as I'm speaking and greeting people, that's the response I'm getting. Is, you know, things are really kind of going pretty rough for me right now. And so we're looking to God's Word as we look to God's Word for every situation and challenge in life, and we're learning how to handle these hard times. What can we do? How should we respond when life hits hard? Now, last week, we said the first thing that we need to do when life hits hard, or the first thing we need to recommend to somebody who we're trying to reach out to who's in a hard time, is that we've got to remember now, what do we need to remember? We need to remember five eternal truths about God. And one is that God is love. He is love. That's his nature. And so God is always acting out of who he intrinsically is, and that is love. We saw last week that God's always at work around us, and often the trial, the hardship that we're going through is really not about us, but about someone else who God is using us to reach out to. And so as Corinthians says, that God uh, gives us comfort so that we can comfort others with the comfort that we've learned from God. So God allows us to go through some hard times so that we really know what that hard time is all about, and we can more authentically then reach out to others who are going through that hard time. Then we saw that God's perspective is vital. Isaiah 55, God says, my ways aren't your ways, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. And sometimes it's just hard for us to connect the dots. And, and God tells us that, that we shouldn't try to do that because his perspective is an entirely different perspective than ours. His timing is perfect. Now, we talked last week, you know, it seems like the hard times always come at the worst possible time. But yet God knows exactly what he's doing, and God has it all under control. And his timing, even though it doesn't fit our timing, is always perfect. Then we saw that his purpose is always pure in our life, that, that, that God is always using us, and even when hardship comes, his purpose is pure because he, again, is love. Now, that's what we do first. We need to remember those five things about God because the first thing Satan's going to try to do is he's going to try to get us to doubt God's love. He's going to try to get us to doubt God's provision. He's going to be whispering in our ear, see, that's how much God loves you. See, there you go. You thought God loved you and God says he loves you. Why would God let you be going through this right now? And so Satan immediately, when hard times hit us, tries to infiltrate our hearts and our minds and get us to turn away from God. Now, with those five things in mind, then we need the second and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We need to connect with God. It's one thing to academically or intellectually embrace those five things and say, well, God is love and God's always at work around me and God's perspective is vital. And just kind of make that head knowledge and not do anything with it. To really get God's power working in our life, we need to connect with him in a very intimate way. Now, I want to show you how to do that today by using a rather obscure Old Testament story 
That's located in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Now, if you have your Bible with you, if you want to follow along in your Bible, you can do that. 2 Chronicles is in the Old Testament part of your Bible. you got the first five books called the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then you have Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. Then you have 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, and then 1 and 2 Chronicles. So if you get to Ezra, you've gone too far, okay? So you might turn there. While you're turning, let me set the historical background for you. At this time in Israel's history, and for those of you who are new to the Bible, the Old Testament pretty much is all about God's relationship with Israel, his chosen people. It's a history of his relationship with them. And at this time in the history of Israel, the kingdom of Israel is divided into two kingdoms. There's a northern kingdom that is called Israel, and there's a southern kingdom that's called Judah. That happened after the reign of Solomon. Solomon left things a mess, even though he was the wisest man who ever lived, and the kingdom all divided up, and there was all kinds of, 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 of drama between his sons, and so now it existed in two. At this particular time, the king of Israel, the northern kingdom, is a horrible, wicked king named Ahab. The king of the southern kingdom of Judah is a, a pretty good king. He's a pretty godly man named Jehoshaphat. Well, the two kings got together, as these kings periodically did, and they were kind of uh, together one day and just talking, and Ahab said, you know, I'm going to go to war against, against uh, Ramoth Gilead. I'm going to go to war against them. He said, why don't you come and war with me? Together we can really beat them and, and we'll go to war. And Jehoshaphat said, well, you know, uh, we're, we're Jewish and we're one, we're kin, and what mine's yours and what yours is mine. And so, so absolutely. And so Ahab says, yeah, let's go to war. But Jehoshaphat says, well, but let's first seek the Lord on this. Let's see what God has to say. So Ahab brings in all his prophets. Now, the problem was his prophets were as wicked as Ahab was. And so they were a bunch of yes men. They were a bunch of yes prophets. And so they said, oh, yes, King Ahab. God said, go against Ramoth Gilead, and he will give you victory. You know, and Jehoshaphat sees right through this. And he says, he said, now, isn't there a real prophet somewhere here in, in Israel? And Ahab says, well, yeah, there's this one guy, but I don't like him because he never tells me what I want to hear. He's always contrary to what I want. His name is Micaiah. And he says, well, let's go to him. So Micaiah comes, see? And they go to Micaiah and they ask Micaiah what God would have to say about this. And Micaiah says, he says, oh, king, God says, go ahead against all them and God will give you deliverance. And, and Ahab, he says, you never shoot straight with me. He says, now, come on, tell me what. And so he says, well, here's what God says. God says, if you go war against Ramoth Gilead, you're going to get mauled. That's what's going to happen to you. And he, see, he says to Jehoshaphat, see, that's what I tell you. This guy is so negative. He always says things that we don't want. And so anyhow. Uh, Ahab says, have him arrested, throw him in jail, take him away, and, and, and I'll deal with him when I get back. So Micaiah says, he said, if you do come back, then the Lord hasn't spoken to me. And so anyhow, they went to war anyhow against Ramoth Gilead. And guess what happened? They got mauled, man. They got mauled. Now, it wasn't enough. Jehoshaphat should have known better to go against what the real prophet of God said. But he should have, if that didn't tip him off, what... Going into battle, what Ahab suggested should have tipped him off. In 2 Chronicles 18, 29, the king of Israel, Ahab, says to Jehoshaphat, he says, now here's what we'll do. I'll enter the battle disguised, but you wear your royal robes. Okay, that's how we're going to do it. So the king of Israel disguised himself, and Jehoshaphat got in all his royal I mean, you'd smell a rat with that, right? You wear the royal robes. You wear the crown. You, you have all the flags and pops, and I'll, I'll disguise myself over here. 
And so that's what happens. Well, sure enough, they got on the battlefield in the armies of Ramoth Gilead. They saw Jehoshaphat and all his robes and all his splendor. And the king of Rahab Gilead had told him, his charioteers, don't you waste any energy and time anywhere else. You see the king, you go right for him. And so, man, they were bearing down on Jehoshaphat. And he saw that. And Jehoshaphat cried out to the Lord. And the Lord delivered him. See, he got near to Jehoshaphat, and they recognized that it wasn't Ahab, and it was Ahab they were looking for. Now, in another place of the battlefield, Ahab is out there, and he's in disguise in his chariot. And all of a sudden, an archer's arrow from the enemy inadvertently finds a hole in a little space between his armor and puts an arrow right into him. And so he's mortally wounded, and he retires, and sure enough, just as... Micaiah prophesied he died in that battle. That was the end of Ahab. Now, still the battle went on, and the Israelites, and on both sides, the northern kingdom, southern kingdom, they got mauled by Ramath Gilead. But Jehoshaphat learns his lesson. And he goes back, as, as recorded in 2 Chronicles 19.4, he lived in Jerusalem. So he went back to Jerusalem, but then he went on a king's tour all through his kingdom, turning people's heart back to God. See, he did what we talked about last week. When, when, when we get in a hardship and, and we question, hey, was it me? Did I do something? Well, he, he evaluated himself. He said, yes, I disobeyed the prophet of God. He took the responsibility. He went out and admitted it. He admitted it before God, and, and he brought all the people back to God. Now, that brings us to where we're at as we come to chapter 20. Well, at chapter 20, he's back. He's ended his king tour and bringing the nation back to God. And it says in verse 1 and 2, it says, After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, with some of the Munites, came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It is already in Hazazan Tamar. All of a sudden, he gets this news that there's this vast army bearing down on him. Remember we talked about God's timing's perfect, how it doesn't seem like it? Can you imagine what Jehoshaphat thinking right now? He had just gotten mauled in battle. He'd lost a lot of troops. He expended a lot of their power. And so now, I mean, now they got this vast army bearing down on them. What's he going to do? Well, let's see what he does. Alarm, verse 3, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to help him. So what does Jehoshaphat do? He really goes to the Lord. See, what's he do? He does the same thing that we need to do. Turn to God first. Now, last time they turned to God, but they kind of turned to God kind of in a flippant way because they didn't take what God gave them. Well, this time, he was real and ready to listen. He had already gone through his whole kingdom and turned the hearts of people back. And so when they heard that the king was, was turning and he was turning to God and seeking God as his army is coming down on them, they did the same thing. They said representatives from every village in the whole kingdom, and together they went into a fast, and together they sought what they should do from God first. Now, see, that's important because we tend to go to other resources first. We tend to treat God like a fire extinguisher with a glass break only in the case of extreme emergency. And a hardship will hit us, and we'll go to friends, and we'll go to this place and that place and the other. And finally, when nothing else works, we go to God. 
But see, the problem of going to some of these other resources and friends and relatives before we go to God is that our sources don't always give us impartial advice. I mean, he, he remembered back with, with the 400 prophets of Ahab said, yes, go against God, go, or go against Ramoth Gilead. God will give you the victory. Well, they weren't impartial. They were a bunch of yes men. And see, sometimes that's our sources. They're not impartial. You know, they're for us, and they want to tell us what we want to hear, and, and that's not what we need at that moment. They, they also uh, don't always give us good advice. Sometimes they give us horrible advice. So we, we need to turn to God first. Then second, we need to talk to God productively. Talk to God productively. Now, it's one thing to go to God, but we got to go to him in a productive manner. Now, what follows in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 is basically a prayer that Jehoshaphat offers to God. And we can learn so much from this prayer. Remember, he's going to God. This vast army is coming down on him. People from all his kingdom have come to Jerusalem, the capital, and they're all fasting and they're all seeking God. And so Jehoshaphat, the godly king, leads his people in prayer to God. Now, what he prays can teach us a lot about how to talk to God productively. Do you know that we can actually talk to God in an unproductive way? And we do it all the time. We can talk to God in a defeatist way, in, in an anemic way, in a way that doesn't motivate God one bit to action. You know, we tend to, you know, oh, God, oh, this, oh, God, oh, God, help me, oh, you know. And, and, you know, God's looking at that and saying, you wimp, you know. But Jehoshaphat doesn't do that. So what do we do? How do we talk to God productively? Well, we affirm who God is. So he begins to pray in, in, in verse 6 of 2 Chronicles 20. He says, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one could withstand you. Now, does God need to be reminded of that? God understands. He knows who he is. God's omnipotent. He's obnoxious. He, he, he knows that he's who he is. He doesn't need that affirmation. We need the affirmation. And we, when we affirm, God, I know who you are. God, you're still the God of heaven. You're still the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're the God of David who slew Goliath. You're the same God that's always been and always will be. See, we need to affirm who God is. And we need to pray out loud whenever we can. I found that, that that is so helpful to me when I'm facing a hardship or when I'm afraid of something. I'll pray to God out loud. God, and I'll just affirm in my heart, in my life, in my spirit, who God is. And so that's what he does. He affirms who God is. Then he affirms who God has been. Verse 7, O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? He, he says, God, you're the God who drove all these nations out of this land when we came back from Egypt. You're, you're the one that helped us overthrow Jericho and knock those walls down. You're the ones that helped us overcome the Philistines and had David kill that Goliath with, with a slingshot. You're the, God, you're the God who's done this, and you're the God who's redeemed us and spared us and saved us time after time after time after time. See, he, he affirmed who God has been in the history of Israel. 
And, and that's important for us to do too when hardships hit. That's how we connect intimately with God. We affirm God. You, there was this situation in my life. I remember, oh, it was so hard and it was so scary and it was so difficult, but God, you were there. And, and in the end, you presented yourself and, and you showed who you are and God, you were amazing. Then there was this other time in my life. That's why I encourage us to journal our life experience so that when a hard time comes, you can go back and you can look at what you wrote about other hard times in your life. And then you can affirm to yourself again, you don't have to remind God, he remembers, but you're reminding yourself how God has been there for you in the past. Then we need to declare our faith. That's what he did. Declare your faith in verse 9. If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear and save us. You know, he didn't say, oh, God, I don't know how this is going to end up. Oh, God, have mercy on us. He said, God, I know who you are, and I know your perspective, and I know your purpose in our life, and our kingdom is pure. And I don't know how this is going to go, but I know this, God. I know that you will give us the victory because we are your people, and we bow our knee before you, and we place you supreme in our life. And so, God, I don't know where it's going, but I declare my faith in you. I'm not trusting in my army. I'm not going out and sharpening my swords and building more arrows or building defensive walls. God, I am putting my faith and confidence in you. And see, we declare that in our lives, too. We say, God, I don't know what this is all about. I don't know whether this is about me or about someone else, but I declare this. I trust you, God. I believe your purpose is pure for me, and God, I will not falter. I will stay true, and I will stand boldly in your presence. Then we need to commit ourselves to his protection. That's what Jehoshaphat does here and the people as they continue to pray in verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. He, he, he said, there's no way in the world we can win this battle, God. We're overwhelmed. We just went through a battle with, with Ramoth Gilead, and we got mauled. We lost a lot of critical soldiers and critical equipment. and, and we, we, There's no way we can win this battle. We are in a helpless and hopeless situation. And so, God, we're not going to depend on our own strength. We're not going to try to clever our way through this. God, we're declaring right now that we are trusting in your protection, and we are committing ourselves to you. We're going to do it your way, God. You tell us what to do, and we're going to do it your way. Now, that's the same thing in our lives, see? It's the same thing that we need to do when hardship comes to us. We, we need to tell God about it. We need to talk to him about it. We need to say, God, I, I don't know. I can't figure a way out of this. I don't know how this is going to end. I, I, I don't know anything more I can do. I, I, I don't have, I, I'm hopeless here, God. But here, here's what I know. I know that somehow you are going to have a victory. Somehow you are going to come through. Sometime, some way, in a way that I probably could never imagine, you're going to do it. And so, God, I am not trusting in anyone else. My trust is is in you. I know that you will protect me. Then we need to listen for God's response. See, this is where we often get it wrong. Even when we get the rest right, and boy, we we just get indignant, and we talk to God productively, and we affirm who he is and who he's been, and we're out there, and man, we're, we're getting our battle face on, and we're ready to go. And then we pray it all, and then we don't listen for God's response. 
See, they were smart enough that they listened. Verse 13, all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. They prayed. It was out there. And they said, God, we've affirmed our faith. We've committed ourselves to you. Now, God, we're just waiting. We're listening. See, we've got to give God a chance to talk back. You know, don't just go through the motions of doing these steps that we're learning. We, we need to then, we need to get quiet. We need to get to a quiet place. And we need to allow God to speak back to us. Now, how does he do that? Well, he does that through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And sometimes, as we're just quiet, the Holy Spirit will start giving us things and thoughts that we would have never come up with on our own. Sometimes it's when we're reading the Bible, and that's why it's so important to read his word when we're going through hardships. And especially, I like to read the Psalms when I'm going through hardships. And and, and through the word, God will start igniting thoughts, and he'll give us hope, and he'll give us courage as we pray to him and and give a little silent time back. Let the Holy Spirit speak to us. The Holy Spirit will speak. It won't be an audible voice. It'll be a presence. And it'll bring thoughts and considerations that we weren't thinking about. Or it'll bring a verse back that some obscure verse that we heard about 20 years ago. We haven't even considered again. All of a sudden, just that right verse at the right time, God will bring that back to us to give us direction or to give us courage. So they listen. So what do we need to do? We need to talk to God productively. We need to go to him first, but we need to go to him in a productive way. Then we need to worship God energetically. Worship is such a powerful weapon against Satan. It's such a powerful weapon against the hardships of this life. Again, beginning in verse 18 of 2 Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground, and all the people in Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. See, he was a real leader. He was a godly leader. He got on his face before God. And when they saw the king humble himself before God and get on his face before God, they followed suit. They did exactly the same thing. Then it says some of the Levites from the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord of God of Israel with very loud voice. What did they do? After they prayed and they humbled themselves before God, they got back on their feet and they just started having a song fest. They started singing to God. And they sang what? With a loud voice. Oh, listen, let me tell you the power of worship. When you worship God, what the Holy Spirit can do through that. This is one of the, one of the things I believe in as much as I believe in reading the Bible during hardships and, and, and talking to God in an affirmative way. Is I, I sing. Now, I, I love the traditional service and I love the hymns. This is what I was brought up on. But I love the contemporary services too. But whenever hardship comes, it seems what I was born with and what I was brought up and comes back. And man, I'll just start singing, great is thy faithfulness, Lord God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Or I'll sing, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. And what I'll do is I'll find myself a place where, where I'm alone, could be in my car, could be outside in a park somewhere, and I'll just sing to God at the top of my lungs. And you know what happens? God starts making the words of those amazing songs of worship true in my life. And they give me confidence, and they give me courage. And it's not long before I'll feel tears coming down my cheeks, and I'll get choked up as I'm singing, because the Holy Spirit will come, and the power of God will be there. And everything doesn't look as dark then. 
So we need to worship him energetically. See, make war against your doubt with praise. Make war against your fear with praise. Just sing to him. Sing to the Lord loud and and energetically. Worship him energetically. And then don't forget to thank him expectantly. Now, thanking God's one thing. But thanking him expectantly is a whole other thing. Look what they did. Verse 21. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. So what does he do? All right, now they're ready to go to battle. God did speak back to them. I haven't shared that part with you. You can read it later. But God spoke back to them, told them what to do, where to go. And so they got the army together. And who did he put out in front? The choir. He put them right out in the front. He put them out in the front. He he didn't put the catapults. He didn't put the chariots. He didn't put the archers. He didn't put the guys with the swords and the spear. He put the choirs. He put the singers out front. And they went into battle singing praises to God. They kept worshiping him energetically as they marched into battle. That was his battle plan. Thank God expectantly. God, thank you. Thank you, God, that you are hearing my prayer, that my prayer is not falling on deaf ears. God, you're hearing my prayer. You care about my situation. You are here. You are present. Thank you, God, for hearing my prayer. Thank you, God, that you're in control and not me. God, I don't know what to do, and if I tried to do it, I'd mess this whole situation up. But thank you, God, that your perspective is absolutely correct and that, God, you know what's going on. And so, God, I just got to follow you. Where you lead me, I will follow. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as the psalmist said, I will not fear, for you are with me. Thank you, God, that even though I don't know what's going on, you know what's going on. God, you, your presence is everywhere. You're, you're all around me and you're working all around me. I don't know if this is about me or somebody else or about you or what it's about, but God, you are in control. You know what's going on, even though I don't. Thank you, God, that your timing's perfect. That doesn't seem right to me. Doesn't seem like this is a good time for any of this, God. But your timing is always perfect. And so, God, I believe that this is the exact moment in time that I am ready to confront this hardship. I am ready to take this on because you wouldn't take me to this place in a time I could not handle it and in a time that I could not make war against it. Thank you, God, that your purpose is pure in my life. I know, God, that this is all about your love. I know this is about making me a stronger believer. I know this is about in building our relationship. I know, God, this is about preparing me for eternity. God, I know this is about using me in a way that I would have never used myself. God, I know your purpose is pure. Thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you are doing and for the victory I will see in this someday. Now look what happens. As they began to sing, verse 22, in praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Zer who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. They're marching out to battle, and they're singing songs, and they're praising God expectantly, and they've done all the right steps, and and the Lord sets ambushes for them. Now I know what you're thinking, because it was what I thought when I first read it, is that the Lord gave them a strategy, and they stationed troops around, and that's not what happened. See, look what God does. 
The verse of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men of Mount Zair to destroy them and annihilate them. Now, they're their allies. They're one of the groups going in the battle with them. But either God confuses the battlefield, and that's what I believe, or there's a lot of animosity and jealousy among these, these people. And so anyhow, the Moabites and the Ammonites, they turn on the Mount Zair and they destroy them. And then after that's finished, slaughtering them out from Zair, then the Ammonites and the Moabites turn against each other. And, and they start making war against each other. And so by the time the armies of Judah reached the battlefield, there was just a bunch of dead people laying around. There was just dead people. said when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked towards the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one escaped. No one got away. And they hadn't fired an arrow. They hadn't thrown a spear. They'd just come up to the battlefield, come over the hill and look down there and say, would you look at that? They're all dead. The Bible goes on to say that it took them three days to gather all the plunder off the dead laying around the field. All the weapons and all the gold and all the, all the stuff. Because God did a miracle for them. God did what they could have never imagined him do. And see, when life hits hard, as we connect with God, God will start doing what only God can do. And that's exactly what he did. He turned this whole situation. Remember, this is a vast army. I mean, they, they ultimately... The, Jehoshaphat and his army went out and marched against them because God told them to do that. But there was no way they had the arms, the strength, the material means, the logistics to defeat that army. What they didn't know is God had already defeated them. And by the time they got the battlefield, all they really needed was some wagons to put all the plunder on and take it back to Jerusalem. See? Then, verse 27, then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem. I'll bet they did. For the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lutes and trumpets. Now, don't forget this. See, here's what often happens when we, the Lord delivers us from a hardship. It is now, okay, God, thanks, uh, I'll take over from here. See? The most dangerous time in a believer's life is the good time, not the bad time. The most dangerous time in this whole process is when the hardship leaves and when God does what God does because then we kind of start relaxing and coasting again instead of relying on God. So they went back and they worshiped God. Now look at the final result. The fear of God came upon all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard how God had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace for his God had given him rest on every side. Now, now, now look what happened. Not only did God give them victory over the Ammonites, the Moabites, and Mount Zair, but when the rest of the warring countries around them who wanted to destroy Israel, Israel's still in that situation today, aren't they? They've always been in that situation. And they always will be until Jesus comes back. But, but, but they've... All these countries wanted to make war against them. They wanted to drive Israel out of the land. But when they heard what God had done, then Jehoshaphat and the kingdom of Judah had peace all around them. Now, what can we learn from that? See, when hard times come and we connect with God, God will not only do what he can do, he'll do more than we imagine he can do.
See, that's the importance of first remembering who God is. But not just making it an academic experience. That's the importance of connecting with him. Turn to God first. Talk to him productively. Worship him energetically. Thank him expectantly. Listen, God's taken you through hardships before, and he'll do it again. Say this to me. God did it before. He'll do it again. Say it again. God did it before. He'll do it again. One more time. God did it before. He'll do it again. You can count on it. And where you are now And where 
Just like Moses, just like Daniel, just like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego too. He'll do it again. He's not abandoned you. He's not giving up. He's at work behind the scenes. He's slaying the army before you get there. He's done it before, and he'll do it again. Don't ever forget it. Claim it. Own it. Live it. Embrace it. He'll do it again. Our ushers are going to come. and We're going to worship him now in the giving of our tithes and offerings. And as we do, we have an opportunity to worship him energetically. As we sing to him, we give and we sing. Gabriel. 